0: Hello and welcome to the RevX podcast. This is episode eight. This will be the second in our series on job hunting. Um, this is a panel, the same panel that we had last time, continuing continuing their discussion of um, job interviews. Coming up in next in the series, we'll switch over to networking online and offline. That won't be next week; it'll be the week after that. Next week, we're going to do two podcasts on the concept of toxic masculinity. We have one, the first one's an all-women panel, the second one's an all-male panel, and then they will we'll discuss the topic, and later on we'll come back to that with bringing the groups together. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to have, as I mentioned, we'll have the Next in the Jobs series, which will be about networking, and we will also have some more of the, RevX, or, uh, the Professor X political panel. Um, also, this Sunday um, we are doing Karaoke Idiot at the Pinch. We'll start about eight thirty. We have a full slate of performers to do the songs. It's not like the show, a normal, typical Broadway musical type show. We're not. We didn't cast people to play the same part throughout the night. We cast people, different people, to do different songs. So you'll have a bunch more performers than you would normally have, and a really, a really good, diverse kind of fun, different show. I've seen everybody who's performing sing quite a bunch they're people you know um check out our event on facebook um and you will uh you'll really enjoy that event i think um and the um casting call is out for our upcoming fictional podcast series called all american a fake crime podcast which will be a uh a fictional take on the the true crime podcast phenomenon that's going on so Um, but that'll be, uh, you'll hear more about that as it develops and as the episodes come out. So we'll be recording at least one to two episodes before the the month is out. So be on the lookout for that. And we're doing casting calls and everything. Scripts are all written. I've got some people uh, doing some uh, punch ups on them to make them a little better and a little more, you know, In depth I did my writing And now I'm having some other Very high quality writers Come in and add some stuff to it And help uh, perfect them Before we record them And then this show is going to be really good You'll like it, trust me All right, so check out our podcast Coming up tonight And then uh, check back with us on Tuesday For more uh, The first of the Toxic masculinity episodes Thanks for listening It's kind of
1: like this I also um, Just stopped working with a uh, very small business that was working very closely with the founder and we just did not get along. So I guess, um, how would you talk about that in an interview? Like, I was, I was fired. Like, it wasn't really at all. So, it, I mean, it's negative. But how do I talk about that in a positive way? <laughs> I just think that's, that's such a great uh, question to ask and, and didn't have any experience myself so i asked my husband who was you know hired a lot of people in the federal government and um i think one of the things that we both agree on is number one never burn bridges don't burn them you can just i am there's so many people i am aria Stark. there are so many people on my list but i will
2: never i will never i will never badmouth anyone like
1: even if Person I'm with was a tyrant because I don't want that to be perceived as the shortcoming of mine as an employee. So number one, never run a bridge. Um, you know you can speak, you can speak true to the situation without speaking negatively necessarily. Um second, use it as a learning um, it's sort of a moment of learning, a, an educational moment. So if they ask you and you have, you, know, you want to be honest, you know, yes, um, unfortunately I'm from that position, you can be honest. You know, you, did, you know, if you want to say that there were personality conflicts or something like that, but don't leave it at a personality conflict because then that employer, or that hiring manager is now going to question, well, what is it about you that you know, is making it difficult to work with you? turn it around and say, you know, I realize that this person, you know, really was, you know, a hands-on manager and really liked to micromanage, I'm a very independent project manager, things like that, you know, and so I realize, you know, that next time I need to, um, you know, give up a little bit of control over the project, or something to that effect. But find a learning moment that you can use to turn it around so that, number one, that person realizes that you're sincere and honest, number two, that they realize that you learned from that situation and, and you know, that you're willing to accept any fault that you may have had. And, you know, it, it's, it's never, you know, even if you in your mind feel like you know, you had a 5% you know,
3: contribution
1: to that, at least be able to say, to show them that you're kind of being the
2: bigger person and that you've learned from that experience. It's never personally happened to me, but it's happened to people that I know. I think that the this- the thing to do is oh never 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 speak ill of you, of any employer that you've worked with in the past. And if it does happen to come up, put it in the terms of saying something to the effect that you were let you were let go because it, it was no longer beneficial to to the project for, for either one of you to stay on, and that you learned a lot while you were there, and talk about you know what what you did learn when you were there, and uh, that you feel like that. Um, contributed to your growth and what you learned from that from that experience. Uh, always, ex- exactly. Try to keep it keep it positive. Uh, there's no need to go into anything negative that may have occurred between you and, and whoever was there. Or, but always always try to frame it as probably there was something that happened. The experiences that I have seen, you know, from talking to people that I, you know, I, I'm thinking of. Her- particular experiences that, 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 there's somebody that I know that this happened to recently, but there's always, it always seems to be like there's some sort of experience where on both sides, people were not, that it, something was just not meshing, and there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to bring up whatever whatever conflict there was, so always bring out the positive, like what did you actually get out of it, and bring that to the table somehow, just sort like of turn the positive into it
1: thing being done. today you mentioned if it's a small business anyway reputations have a way of getting around so if you're at a, an organization where people may have already known this person sometimes you don't even have to say their name for them to <laughs> understand oh maybe this is why she left you know and, and not being negative like just you know keeping that sort of that sort of grace of you know just you don't have to mention it you know it, it, you know exactly like this was saying just keep it positive, talk about what you need from the experience, because if it's in a situation where you've been let go, but people are well familiar with that company or with that manager or whoever, you they, there may already be information out there that you don't even have to say for them to know, and by them being able to say that you never made it negative, you never took it there, that will also speak volumes for you.
4: So, um, this is Gina. I've actually had this happen several times. In my life, where it's not necessarily I got fired per se, but the, most of my previous jobs, my departure was not my call and not my time. Most of them. Not not like not like some of them, not a few of them, but most of them. And they're all for different reasons. Um, I had my first job in the US after I got my master's degree last which was in Miami for a big corporation that's for headquarters there. You probably narrow it down because um, there aren't that many in Miami. Uh, they, they, uh, I was there for less than 90 days, they hired me for a position that on paper required 48 years of experience. They probably didn't pay me like I had 48 years of experience. Uh, the person who hired me got promoted between the time I got the offer and the time I took it, I didn't start working, so she didn't really have time to be there. Um, and it was just, I was just doomed. But it was still incredibly psychologically devastating because it was the first time that had ever happened to me or the second, because before that, before I went to grad school, I went to the .com, and I got laid off, but everyone got laid off in San Francisco. <laughs> we were there in like 2000, 2001, 2002, so there wasn't really anything that I had to explain. But even the place I worked at longest, which was um, which was a big national passenger railroad, again, there's only one, um, I, I was there for over five years. I got promoted during those five years. I was in charge of all the employment testing at that railroad. It's a 20,000 person organization transportation company but they hired the old VP of HR retired they hired a new VP of HR he was sort of one of these like cutthroat corporate people who thought he had a clean house and so he cleaned house and he started with me my boss and my boss's boss and I've talked about this in an interview in interviews, and that's all I really have to say like I, for the job I have now I said I took a buyout because that's true I also say me my boss and my boss's boss all took the buyout at the same time I don't need to explain anymore what happened at that point. Big it, right? <laughs> i say that the be UVP, and then like a month and a half later, me and my boss and my boss's boss all took buyouts, and they kind of can do the math from there. Um, so you can there's a way that you can actually speak. I won't go so far as to say I will agree that you can't speak negatively about a particular person or a particular employer, but you can definitely convey the same message by by talking truthfully about what happened in that organization without being overtly negative. They will understand what you mean,
5: generally speaking. I don't know my personal experience with this, but uh, my, one of my close friends actually uh, has run into this situation before, as in uh, uh, being a scientist on, uh, you know, being a scientist and being an engineer are actually two very different things, especially when you're a PhD-level scientist, like, uh, and then working in the industry. I don't think you really understood what it was that, um, like, there's there's the, the science part of it, that you're like, oh, you need to understand this. But like conveying that to everybody is sometimes very challenging for a scientist. Uh, and then understanding that, that um, yeah, there's deliverables too. So it's really difficult, I mean, I'm serious serious. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where the deliverables sometimes like, uh, sometimes you you have to work on more of trends, like uh, what the data kind of suggests, and instead of the hard, straight scientific answer. So a lot of the, so like, uh, for example, I bring back to this, you're not doing a PhD thesis. So my PhD thesis, like, was on a very old topic. I wouldn't have been able to write a thesis if I didn't limit the variable. In the, in the industry problem, you don't variables. <laughs> you know, like, your product line has a certain behavior. You have to kind of go by intuition and work with things. And uh, what I'm talking to, wrapping it up, and how it relates to your question, is that when he was let go, you know, like um, all his friends were, you know, like um, all of our um, like a, um, like graduate, um, uh, peers of his, we were very supportive. You know, like, and, uh, looking out for about uh, for jobs and uh, then again, open the air. And at the end of the day we told them that, you know, you're a your quality scientist just need, your high quality scientist, just need to stay positive and also, it's not like you didn't have any tangibles while you were there. If you have tangibles that you learn things from it, and there were things that that were achievements, you still highlight that. You, you know, like. Even upon departure, you know, like, things sometimes don't, you know, like, you know not as Jay said, they're no longer beneficial for both parties. So that's how you kind of approach that. I have some administrative
4: details. So having been in HR for all this time, you pick up a few things even though I'm not a recruiter, and I'm not, I mean, I've been in HR operations for a long time, uh, if, especially at the railroad. So I had first, I had a you know, front row seat to how HR worked for many years at this point. And so, I feel like I should offer some administrative details to anyone who's been through it because, like I said, I've been through it several times for several different reasons. Um, one thing I had to learn, and I learned this taking a PHR certification course after the debacle in Miami, um, and uh, the instructor, I actually ended up confiding to her, talking to her about like an hour after class one day, and they like, basically paid me like some, you know, they paid me some, some severance. They, 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 they also pay me a relocation, I have to keep, them. they, you know, whatever, they just pay you to go away in certain situations. They have every sign, a form that says, like, you will not sue or else, you know, you have to go to arbitration if you have a, you know. a Couple things that she made clear to me. Uh, number one, you can just take that, rip it up, and set it on fire. That kind of agreement is never binding because unless you're a part of a union, and you collectively bargain your rights, you can never forfeit your rights to file a grievance against someone who has wronged you. It is literally a constitutional right to file a grievance against someone who has wronged you. You can't give that up unless you're in a very particular situation, you usually collective bargaining. That's the only situation in which it's binding that you can't go to court. And as you might have seen in the news and sports news, even that isn't completely binding because you can sometimes still go to court even if you're a part of a union um, if, if the grievance process doesn't work for you. So that's one administrative detail. So don't, if you're being hustled out the door and they try to feed you that, don't buy it. It's nonsense. They just want you to leave that so that you don't come back and it doesn't come back to bite them. The other thing that's important to remember is that you are not a, um, you can be clear about the environment without actually mouthing per se the employer. So I used to work at one of like, I was a contractor for one of the three largest banks um, in the country for 20 months before I had my first government job a couple of, well, three years ago now. And uh, the end of my contract got curtailed. I'd already been a contractor longer than I should have been. And there was an interview last summer where I was asked, where like somebody probed, like, so why did you, why did that contract, the end of your contract, come up early? Um, mm-hmm. So I worked for 20 months, and I should only work for 18, and 24 was the absolute maximum. And I said, and because she kept pressing me, I said, my team started off with, with eight or 10 people and was 14 people at its peak. By the time I left, it was six people. And that's all I said. It, was like it, wasn't very, it wasn't an environment that retained the employees on my team. Like there was a huge amount of turnover. And again, when you're interviewing, that is something that most people can understand. Where you're not directly being like, they sucked and they were this and they were that. But you're, set, you're just pointing out the facts. Like, team had 14 people. When I left, it was six. Like, that's, that all happened in that 20 month period. So, um, they, again, it's sort of a way of conveying that message without, so that's, that's an important thing. The other important thing administratively to remember is that almost no employer unless they're absolutely out of their freaking minds will say, will never tell another prospective employer you got fired. So if you're worried about that, that is you, 98% of the time not a concern. Some independent person or somebody who doesn't really understand your job might do something that crazy. But generally speaking, most employers are even small ones understand that because it's because companies have been sued for for by former employees because they told because they told some other prospective employer that they got fired from their previous job and then the employee he didn't get that job and then they sued and won for defamation or whatever it is. So the vast majority of employers will simply give, and I know my I know the railroad I work at does this, and you know, they give your title, your start date, and your end date. And that's it. They won't say it. another thing about what happened because there's way too much liability involved to, for, for them to go around saying what exactly happened to every employee. So don't let that be a concern either. And that's one of the reasons and knowing that made me feel comfortable in, in sort of handling it the way you described or I described here. I would say, unless they directly ask,
0: just don't bring it up. I mean, right. there's no reason to bring it up. And that's a key thing. People think they have to say, my most recent job, no. They're asking you an experience that you did this. Talk about something you did in a previous job. Yeah. And so don't, don't. there's no reason to bring it up. Don't bring it up. And so when you do bring it up by yourself, you're basically giving them a reason to tell you no, that you don't didn't need to. So like a tennis, an unforced error. Talking about something bad that happened in the previous job is an unforced error. There's no reason to ever <laughs> do it. So, um, if, you, if they directly ask you, then you can get into like the, the stuff they're describing is very helpful. So, but you don't have to bring it up. Oh, um, I just said that I find it to be a common question at the beginning of an interview. It's why are you leaving your current position?
1: You can say that. That's something.
3: That's something you prepare in advance that you can say. Very, you know, I was looking for a different opportunity. I was a, a challenge or, you know. It's your job it. Yeah. You <laughs> so, know, there's, there's always a way. A challenge. <laughs> yeah. All your babies are the going you you <laughs> When we've done interviews for people who go on our team, it's it's a plus, right? You're you have initiative, you're a go-getter, you have an idea of you know how to work um, when there is no backup plan, right? If, if, you, if the buck stops with you, then if you have your company, then that is something that then as an employer I can say, okay, obviously they know how to pick, to be accountable for their work. Uh, so those are the kinds of things that you can do when you're in an interview to, to bring them up and I'll. Say, Once again, go back to your start statement and you can create those scenarios for yourself so that when that question is asked, why are you coming, why are you, you know, obviously you've been working for yourself, what brings you to our company, Um, and you can say either are you going to keep your website and do that concurrently or are you dropping it off? Um, If you're keeping it, you can say, you know, I have been doing this on my own and now I would like to get back into having, you know, a team again it's lonely um, and that's a very valid thing and people understand that this is a way for you to then give a kind of a start statement about time management you know i understand that i'll be working with this team but also in my you know free time or you know for my understanding on the weekends i would like to keep doing this because it's a passion uh, but i would also like to share myself and my skills with company xyz so that's there are ways that you can do that and people especially in different fields especially the tech side a lot of people have different things going. You know, you can have you can be like <laughs> Dr. Dr. Adver, uh, Professor Adver said, and have like, you know. <laughs> you have know, got a lot of doctors on this panel. have the panel is like professors. For uh, you, you know, you may be blogging or writing for a career, but you also have a lot of really interesting fulfilling side projects that are going on that doesn't detract from the work that you're doing. It kind of only adds to that. So there are ways to. Can you go over star again, because I
0: don't know And I about it on Tuesday, and I missed it. Situation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I haven't interviewed someone like that, but I've been that person in an interview, and it, it's very, very valuable every time. That i started this thing on the side, and I've done that more than once, but I can present to them measurable things that it accomplished. And so, whether it be... so I, the. The blog I did was never for profit, so we never tried to make any money off of it, but we did do stuff like we broke news, and we went to the Democratic National Convention in Denver and covered it, and it got picked up by the Library of Congress as notable coverage of this live event. That, I can tell someone in the thing, and even though this thing didn't make any money or it's not a permanent employment thing, it was a thing that had some accomplishments, and I did it by myself, well not by myself, but on my own, so it shows initiative. And creativity to approach this thing, and you present it like anything else on your resume as a job item. This is how I learned to do a thing that could benefit you. So it, it's worked very, very well for me. So I had
2: I was in the same position. I got my first job in the federal government um, after I had my own business as well with someone else. This when I was working at in Dallas for the uh, oil and gas companies, <laughs> and then the Great Recession of 2008 happened, and oil and uh, Oil drop from like 140 something dollars a barrel to like 35 dollars <laughs> a barrel. It's like, now what I'm gonna do? And so, uh, and uh, I lived in Oklahoma at the time, and uh, we were actually doing a bunch of work, had a bunch of people all over the Southwest um, doing these kinds of kind of like, you know, showing them how having that business and doing this, you know, being self-employed could just transition seamlessly over the work they want. So um,
4: this actually is a good way to pass the time if you have an extended period of unemployment. I did that. For people who want to do, who want to engage in the I.O. psychology world where you do like employee selection stuff and maybe employee testing, maybe selection testing, maybe you want to do a job analysis, but you have no idea how, and it's sort of a plain language version because obviously we can be very sciencey. Um, and I spent months, I spent like three or four months of my unemployment creating that site, making it look professional, I then sent it to two I/O psychologists who've been in the field for like 18 or 19 years each, and I said, "What do you think?" They said, "I said, should I share this?" <laughs> and they said, "Yeah, I think this is good enough to share." And so I put that on my resume as what I've been doing. I called myself editor in chief of Radiant Psychology, and so that's that was what I was doing during my downtime. Um, and I, did I did that ever become a business? I have sort of some businessy elements in there, but did I ever make a dime off it? Hell no, no, I didn't make any money off it whatsoever. But I did something that I could reference and I could show people, and if nothing else, it was an example of like creativity and my job knowledge, like I know this is the information I've learned in my time as a practitioner in the field, and this is my sort of way of presenting that to the rest of the world. And it's something to put down that you've been working
5: on. So, uh, I'm not exactly sure, about oh, no, just coming back into this, but, uh, uh, so, I'm assuming we were talking about in between jobs, right? We're talking about like um, sole proprietors and interviewing
0: well, them. It was uh, for like projects that you did outside yeah, of work. Yeah, yeah.
5: So, uh, after I finished my PhD, uh, when I was in my PhD, I worked for the National Energy Technology Laboratory, which is uh, a public energy lab. And uh, I um, I didn't get an appointment, full-time appointment, afterwards. So when I that ended in April of that year, uh, and I didn't have a job, yet. so I uh, was entering. At that time, I uh, was uh, going to be finishing. My, uh, I had finished my PhD. I was going to you know, actually walk that that summer. Um, but most people, you know, like usually like you should be always doing something to improve yourself, even even outside of just. The so what I did that really helped me uh, for my next job was I went and I was like I paid like three grand to uh, go to an electron microscopy course to uh, like a week long course to uh, get better, you know, uh, to get a foot in the door because I had a lot of conventional microscopy, like uh, traditional electron microscopy mm-hmm. experience but I didn't have any of the the, the more of the, I didn't have the same human language skill set for the dance. And you have to have a starting point. Even if you haven't touched the instrument uh, yet, you have to at least have seen, you have to know how it differs and what it, is that, that, uh, what it is that you're going to need to learn in order to succeed in the next job. There's no job that, that very few jobs are where you're going to be able to step in and be able to have no training, you just just go right through it. But in, in science-related jobs, there are cases that you won't get a lot of training in a lot of cases. And you have to have a starting point. If you make the initiative to get the starting points, employers do see that and they do value it. So that was one of the things I did. The other thing I did was I think uh, there was like a $100 workshop. But there were actually multiple occasions. Like I took 100, 250 workshops on like a certain technique that I didn't know it, uh, as much about. Um, have I used all of those? Not all of them are as relevant as the one I just mentioned, but you, it's important. Like if their, things are valuable and they help you broaden, you should absolutely do it. So that's my suggestion: um, is uh, always, always look in and think about how you can improve and like, the website idea that we love. And uh, you know, is like, um, a great example of that.
2: Uh, I wanted to circle around to elevator
1: pitches and what makes an effective elevator pitch versus an awkward rambling. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like my elevator pitch is really awkward. Those types of pictures are less of a science and more of an
4: art, so, here's a different perspectives so and probably helpful on that. So, the BJ is the probably been the mistress of this. So. <laughs> so <laughs> so
3: I was kind of panicking because I've I actually helped give like workshops on elevator pitching and I'm drawing a blank so I've been so obsessed with star Satanists today. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but when, when we advise them, uh, I, I actually help with the elevator pitch and interviewing skills workshops for a uh, local DC nonprofit called Streetwise Partners. Um, they're actually in, uh, East, in New York as well. And um, it's, it's for people getting back into the workforce. So anyone can apply. I actually recommend it um, if you are interested because it's, like, it's really a great program. Um, but our biggest thing is confidence uh, and kind of having your story down. So if you know, if you're going to a networking workshop for, you know, women in tech, then you should kind of tailor your elevator pitch uh, for for that audience and say, all right, maybe I want to talk about uh, myself. And so you can say, I am a, you know, woman entrepreneur who has a few years of experience and I've worked in these industries and I'm looking for um, my next position at the company that I can really contribute um, this skill to um, and I'm rockin' the roll. You know, just like just kind of have that be a, a, a you know pretty concise pitch, um, make it personal about who you are so that there's something that they can take away with them. Um, if you're just reading your CD that's that helpful. instead um, of so you can kind of add a story or add like a little joke in there. So something that's memorable. Um, so it could be, you know, I have uh, and you know I'm a nanny. I've been working for five years. especially in newborns because you know I really like being the first that first line of uh, care uh, for a family and helping them transition, um, you know, from the from the being just the parents to you know someone else. Uh, and you know my favorite, you know, song to sing to a baby is this, and that's why and, you know I'm looking for another caring family. Blah, blah, blah. You know you just do that, but you kind of leave them, give them your you know, maybe one or two or three, max, because um, you've got about 30 seconds. Um, Tidbits of why you, um, and it's like, why you? Why that field or that, that ask, that company, uh, that person? Um, and then kind of that, the, the, the little squishy spot of how that you will connect to that. How do you find the opening to start that conversation, like in a real world? If you're not
2: at a networking
1: event, how do you, how do you spot, when is it appropriate to,
3: Hey, I'm good at this job. You should hire me. I mean, you can it. you don't have to make it always about the hire. <laughs> yeah. So like, I was just at like a, a friend of ours, just like a ladies networking dinner, and you kind of got to the like, you know, what do you kind of, what do you do? And you can just kind of make it more vague, a little more of like, oh, this is the field of it. I'm in child care. This is something I'm really excited about. What do you do? Oh, you're potentially looking for child care? You can be like, oh well, I've, that's when you're like, oh, I've done this, this, and this. But if you make it conversational, then it's not like you're necessarily not necessarily saying that you're saying like, hire me now. But you can say I'm always <laughs> looking for you know a new opportunity. So if you know of anything, just you know, and now here's my card, you know, or your information and I'd love to talk to you more about that. It's always the follow up. Always, I think
1: everything you that we've said is spot on, and I think you. One of the things that you know, it's like I said earlier. The great thing about everything and, 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 and those pitches is you are listening. It's not so much about talking, it's about listening. And where can you find that opening? Like you said, so a lot of times I'll joke, you know, I'm employed now. I'm always looking for, you know, something that, I don't say better because I love what I do, but, you know, I could always be, you know, excited to go back to, you know, defense or stage or something. You know, I'm mm-hmm. always so excited about that. So mm-hmm. if I hear someone talking about something and they maybe give me their pitch and I'll say, oh, you know, yeah, I think I, you know, a lot of experience in bilingual education you know i lived overseas for a long time i'm always looking to move back and hey you want to learn spanish i'm your girl you know i mean offer your services it can be a joke or not necessarily say you know me. but you know i'll always say hey if you know anyone that wants to learn spanish you know i do private lessons you know so you can always do something like that where you find a little opening and then you keep it you keep it personal but light and i always there is nothing You know, it's just like D.J. said, I have on my resume, I have basically a paragraph that gives you an, oh, because I'm such a nomad, I have a paragraph, just a, you know, a brief, like, five-sentence paragraph that tells you basically a summation of my skills and how they're connected. And so, you know, you, I would suggest that you even take the exercise of writing out, you know, your resume, your life, write it out, and then start just condensing it and get it down to, like, maybe five or six sentences and then just practice that. Get it into twenty or thirty seconds, and and so that when you are presented on a chance, you know, when someone, you know, like you're at a, even if you're just at um, an event with other girls or other people, just it could be a light, you know, informal situation, but where people start talking you can say, oh yeah, that's great, yeah, I've been a nanny too, or you know, you can say, oh well I haven't been a private tutor, but I've been a nanny. I totally understand what you're saying, you know, and so. Find those connections because networking isn't talking at people. It's it's connecting with those people. You're supposed to create a you know a connection. It's supposed to be the connected tissue. It's not just, hey, Pope Pope, do you have a job? You know? <laughs> so sort it's of like being able to and sometimes you have to just, you know, you can be a little subtle about it. You don't have to calm somebody over the head with it, but find that find that connection where if someone says, Oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm an educator. Don't be afraid
4: to use your lighter sign. I thought what I was gonna say is gonna be very different from what BJ said, but it wasn't. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, what I was gonna say is that I don't really believe in elevator pitches, but then BJ's description of elevator pitch kind of matched what I would say you should do. So um, what I was saying, think of it in terms of so I, I find that a lot of times people make one of two big mistakes. They they are either ashamed of what they do because they don't think it's good enough and in this town and in New York and a couple other places I've lived that's a major issue. Um, you should never be inhibited, inhibited about talking sometimes about people,
1: people in bellish anyway. So right. I mean a lot of
4: to... this town of all towns is full of people who think they're way more important than exactly. they are. Like I am I work for Congressman so and so even, I'm the office manager. It's like well I mean, that's important, I'm sure, but not as important as you made it sound as you were introducing who you work for. <laughs> um, like, you're not as cheap policy analyst. Um, so, it's it's really important to, whatever you're doing, find that within it that you actually are passionate about, and then everything else will flow naturally because that's what people are drawn to and attracted to. And, like, for me, I'm lucky because I'm in a field where basically I could end up in any Area of this field ended and happy, and that's why I tell people in interviews. I'm like, they say, well, why do you want to work in do? Why do you like my current job? Why do you want to work on the classification assessment policy team? You've done a lot of employee selection. I'm like, I love I/O psychology. I go to up to the conference every year, the an annual conference for our professional organization. I can go to any session and be. Really, it almost intrigued by 90% of by be intrigued by 90% of what I see. So anything in this field is something I feel strongly about because I strongly believe I, I have such strong passion about what it is we actually accomplish doing this work. And so any role I play in that is going to be one that I feel good about. Um, I don't have this image of being like this glamorous doing whatever. I just being a contributor and using these skills and using this knowledge is what I feel strongly about. And it can be applied in many different ways, but the good thing about our field is that it's all worthwhile, and I joke, like I can work for just about any organization and feel comfortable that I'm making a positive impact in the world, no matter what that organization does, because I'm helping fit people into organizations and helping organizations fit people. And to me, that's a very powerful thing and a very important thing. So find what it is that you, love about what it is that you're doing, what value you find in it, and, it'll, and convey that to people in a, in a way that makes it clear you feel strongly about it. And the rest should generally take care of itself. But you definitely don't want to have, like, the caveman hit someone's yeah. person over the head and drag them yeah. by the hair. That's not really, like, I don't want people to think that an elevator pitch is this, like, big formal thing that you yeah, have like a purse like, in the mirror. Yeah, I think
5: that's really great. And, and this is fake again. I never realize myself. I'm so um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Don't no, I know. I, was saying, I mean how
1: would you know that GD is not still talking? So anyway. Um, I you know, I think just to fill in on what they both said, I mean, you know, I used to when I first started UC people like, get your elevator speech, I was like, Oh god, that's so funny but I just I'm not a big person and it's really just It's still it feels disingenuous. And and I think that's why you, you know, I think um, on one level, yeah, have it prepared, but exactly, I feel like I'm going to be contradicting myself. But, it's jazzed up, like exactly like you Nate was saying, like, be genuine and, and although this is a snippet of who you are, don't be afraid to, you know, to sort of broaden it out. So it's like, yeah, okay, I'm in education and things like that. I also, um, you know, I, I have a, one of my general majors in undergrad was religion. I Also, my master's thesis was on the on cultural identity, and, and it was an art it was an art history thing. So, just because my background is in linguistics, doesn't mean that you know I can only talk about that and that I only want people to walk away with that. You're a whole person, and so you can express you know the totality and the entirety of who you are without confining it to that pitch. That pitch is really just sort of like a catch.
2: It's just yeah. yeah, exactly, the way
1: you do speech, you know, and so you you don't have to necessarily just talk about what you do or, you know, but talk about other things and say, you know, if you can even throw it, you know, like you do the say and talk about you're interested in looking for this, you can always say, yeah, I'm interested in opportunities in this, you know, I mean, I will go off for hours on any sort of art topic because I'm obsessed with art and that's just not something that's my life is devoted to, it was a possibility for a time, and you know, so it's like those are sort of things that don't necessarily have to be in your pitch, but don't have to be excluded either. Sometimes you're just looking for that, you're looking for that catch, you know, that, I don't wanna say bait, but you're looking for what are those little breadcrumbs that you can leave that people will be interested in to connect with, exactly, and how, and, and you're looking for those things too, and I think when you're giving your pitch, don't be just completely focused on giving your pitch, Listen to other people too, and find how because what makes it less awkward is that BJ just, doesn't just say, you know, hi, I'm BJ, I work for state department, and I'm like, well, hello, I'm BJ. I teach Spanish, good You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just sort of like, well, that was great, okay? Peace out. you know. I mean, but it's, it's about having a, making it into a conversation and having an exchange. It should never just be about, you know, sort of um, some sort of. Um,
2: yeah, it shouldn't.
1: It shouldn't should just be a transaction. That's a great way to say this. There should be some humanity to it, and, and you're just looking for little clues that that tell you, into, you know, that open up, the you know, who that other person is, and yourself. But don't ever think that the, that the pitch is limited. You know, you're not limited. It's just that it's sort of like an icebreaker to get you, you know, talking.
3: I was. I was these the. So that's where jazz, where it's knowing the fundamentals. So the best jazz musicians are people who know their scales and videos kind of up, up and down, backwards forwards. But then, when they're in in this kind of jazz environment, they're able to improvise off of them. So they might start with something very simple like da 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 da, and then somebody goes ba, and then they're like da 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 da, ba da, da, ba da, da, da and you can do that, and that's a conversation. And that's what you know pitching and interviews are like, right? You've got your, your star sentence, you have everything down, you know, you know what the job is, you've done your research, and then when someone when someone gives you an opening, you can respond within that, uh, you know, with keeping keeping the 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 mean of it, the the scale, or if you're saying in the right key, but you're you're adding a little to it. So it's not just this is who I am, I want this job, I've got five years of experience, experience. you're like, but i like to play outside with kids, or, you know, but, you know, I've, you know, did you know I studied abroad in school, and I also speak Spanish, and I'm really good at CPS reports, (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) can (laughs) go back and help people kind of go back and forth, but it's just, think of it as, it's insight, you've got to know the basics, the fundamentals, but you should be able to kind of rip back and forth and then bring it back,
2: home at the end of it, so. Perfect. Now the
5: whatever, not really good at. <laughs> so, uh, this elevator pitch thing is, uh, yeah, you have a probably 30 second, 60 second like, uh, idea of what you're going to say. Uh, in a networking event, that should be. Like, uh, let's say for a happy hour, for example, which is actually one of the better ones rather than the you have to do it. Like, um, uh, if you're going to go to a networking event, you should give you business card to try to uh, learn about their company and everything. But if you're at a happy hour event, like, um, you definitely want to have. Um, you don't have to. That statement can change. So, best example of this is uh, my current work colleague, which I wasn't even looking for a job at that time. Like, I had met him like several years ago. So, and we talked about like, uh, like very early stuff interesting of, of like um, measuring class viscosities.
2: Um, yeah yes, yes, yes I love like, that like
5: uh um, <laughs> um, that <laughs> you know I like, um, uh, why do you love focus ions? just <laughs> like all stuff that's like a very dirty like, in and not part of my pitch. but you know I made that contact you know when I got back to um uh, uh, my, uh, my um, mm-hmm my uh, office, I immediately wrote him an email because it's like, yeah, this person's great. It would be a great contact just uh, as an peer. You know, like, uh, even if our paths never crossed, he's a great contact. And uh, I was lucky enough that uh, a job at the screen opened up, and uh, it happened to be in the same division. He's not my boss, but he's, you know, part of the group, and he knew, you know, exactly, he could put in a good word for me, but not that that... Not that that way. Like, uh, I don't know the way to that. But I know that at least, at least uh, kind of where things are going. It's a time tables because some things get lost in these planning kind of stages. So um, just the fact that, you know, like, and he could speak, you know, when I was going through the interview process, he could speak for what it is like to work there. So we're, uh, you're not walking into a totally something that you didn't expect. So uh, it's good to um, always network, always network because, you, you know, like, and it's not always about that immediate job. You have to look it further, as in uh, you never know when, when that's actually going to be the case. So for example, you're completing another degree too, right? No,
2: I don't
5: have the money for that. But <laughs> you don't have the money for that now. But perhaps you have interest
2: yeah. in other things. I, I, you should I talk, talk
5: about the interest. Desk. You should talk about the interest rate, you, you never know what it is that you're going to want to do um, you know, down the road. So that's always a good uh, topic starter, as in um, you uh, talk about passions of what, what it is because sometimes it doesn't. You, know, you can't separate yourself if you don't talk about what you're interested in. So to kind of piggyback
0: on I think like any time I've done a, anything more about like an elevator person that had any success, yeah, I'd never talk anything about asking them for a job. And, then what, and the reason why is because, like, people will, if there's an opportunity and they think you're good, they'll ask. Like, if I'm hiring somebody and i run into you and you're good for that job, I'm going to ask you. But if I don't know you're good for that job, and the way that I think it works in those informal situations is you hinted at some of the stuff that, like, you need to make that connection, that connection should be about shared interests, or, you know, who, who's going to hire you? Someone that can make them laugh. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, so it's, if you find a way that, that this person says, oh, my work day will be better with this person there, and that's not always work related. And that's the idea is find just be yourself, talk to them, make a connection. If you can't find a connection that's not work related, you probably don't want to work with them anymore. Because it's not going to turn out often. So you just got to, it's, it's very finding the right fit kind of thing is what this process is about, as opposed to I can fit into that thing. You've got to realize that some of these jobs that you interview for, you do not want them. And it would be a bad choice for you to take them. And so you've got to find out the fit where you connect to this person. If you can't make them laugh, you probably don't want to let them. So, I mean. A
4: couple of things. Um, one is that uh, the, the most, according to psychological research, the most emotionally traumatic thing you can go through, there's three that top the list that lots of people go through in their lives. The first is the end of a long-term marriage, like a divorce. The second is getting fired. The third is moving. So the third is significant, But those top two, those are the most traumatic and stressful things you can go through. It doesn't matter who you are, how 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 you are. It's unless you're like a you know C-suite executive and you have a golden parachute, it's really traumatizing when that happens to you. The best way, the number one way to avoid not having that happen to you is to do research about the company. This is actually the, the, my biggest motive after everything that I've gone through. And it, that could be social media, it could be looking up, finding out the first and last name, of the person who's interviewing them, look for them on Twitter, look for them on Facebook, look for them on LinkedIn, see how they present themselves. Like, you know, if I, you know, I am looking you know, if, some, if I'm looking at someone, if I decide to Google someone who works in an organization or i would reporting to, I go on social media, I'm like, oh, that's a funny white robe he's wearing, and I'm hood. What's, what's that all about? Then <laughs> <laughs> you know, I discovered something that I wouldn't, you
3: know, I probably, I, I probably, yeah, that exactly.
4: <laughs> I probably wouldn't ever work for that person. And that's why you do your research, it probably wouldn't work out. i determined that it probably wouldn't work out, right? So I'm not going to waste my time. Because you don't want to have to go, the idea is to avoid putting yourself in a position where you're likely to go through that trauma. And if you do have to, because you just need a job, you go in with your eyes wide open and you are looking as you're taking that job, you're continuing to do your job search like you didn't just get a job. Because sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, I'm also gonna stray into some pretty controversial territory right now, which is that there are certain dynamics where like I I've, I've had situations very positive ones like you have. I I put my I find professional conferences groups, right? You contribute to these groups, you make a good impression, you can somebody catch someone's eye, and before you know it, they're like, hey, would you be interested in? I was at a professional conference when I was unemployed years ago. I started chatting with this guy at like an exhibitors booth in the exhibitors hall, chatting with him for an hour, he, we parted ways. A couple hours later I was in the exhibitors hall again for something else. He walks in, he walks towards me with a uh, you know, a woman in tow behind who like, seems a bit older and more senior and he's like, I want to introduce you to my boss. Would you be available to have an interview tomorrow or are you going to be here on Sunday? Literally sponsoring this job interview at this conference. And this is a conference that had a job placement center that I mentioned before, of course. But this had nothing to do with it. It was just from me interacting with some stranger, having a conversation, and little united to me, he was so impressed by me that he decided to introduce me to his boss, and she decided to interview me the next day. She was like, okay, we'll meet here at 12 tomorrow. That's the kind of thing that happens by accident. It's not like necessarily you go in and you're interacting, you're just like job, 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 job. You know, you're not doing that. But the controversial territory I was going to straight into is there's some things I'm gonna splash a bit of cold water in this. There's some things that you don't necessarily want to roll out right away, because being in HR, I know this, and it's not fair, and it's not right, but when you combine certain activities with certain demographic groups, people make assumptions that aren't always fair, and they make assumptions about what kind of employee you'd be unfairly, and I'll use myself as an example. Um, some of you know I'm a rock band. I don't roll that out. Like, I don't roll that out right away. <laughs> um, I actually did roll it out for the first time in a, in a wave of interviews, this for my current job, because I just got a good feeling from the people who I was interviewing with, and so it was like the second round was my boss and boss, and it was just her, so the three-person panel first interview, and I just, she was like, what are your other interests? And she made me feel so comfortable that I revealed to her that I had abandoned, and she was like, well, kind of then, I told her, turns out her daughter is a, is a singer, like professionally, and she's helped manage her daughter at times. Her daughter got to the point where she made like, you know, legit recordings and soul limit gospel. So she was like, Yeah, I totally know what that's about. And I was like, inside. I like, Oh boy, thank you. Because <laughs> 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 I couldn't, I was afraid I was going to go sideways. I really didn't roll out stuff like that in the workplace until I get really comfortable because I'm afraid that someone, rightly or, you know, there are certain assumptions that people make about musicians and I didn't necessarily want those assumptions to be about me. Now, in certain workplaces, somebody might be like, Oh, that's a super positive, but I would like this. just, you know, relatively scientific, like left brain and right brain still. Like it's a field that contrasts. Some say might my, my contrast with being the musician. So that's not that's something that I'm cautious about rolling out about myself until I really know that it won't be a drawback. And you have to sort of
2: evaluate the profession you're in and the yeah, field you're in. exactly. I was going to say. Oh, thank you. This is I was going to say just to piggyback
1: off of that. If you are in a creative environment like marketing or Music or things like that throw those things out there by all means the more you know Just being able to show those creative aspects especially if what you do is marketing and PR They can kind of see that you're a creative You know kind of person if you are in more of a scientific background Where it probably tends to be a little bit more you know A little bit more conservative and you know maybe those are the things that you throw out right then Maybe i don't, you know talk about my cosplay you know weekends or whatever you know maybe it's depending on whatever your you know the environment is. So again, it's is, it is, it is, like, you know, exactly what you're saying is feeling out those situations and getting a sense of how much of yourself can you talk about and how much can you not. And there's always things in the back of your pocket that you can talk about that would be interesting, but that maybe not would be kind of controversial. Like being a rapist, you know. I mean. If you wanted to show that you are a musician and you have a musical side, talk about something that about that you line, not you. music, how we talk about when like a band. So they're definitely, you know, there there are, you know, in language we talk about registers. We have registers, you know, that we use depending on how you're engaging with that person, whatever the, the situation is, sort of more situ- situationally appropriate terminology. That is a register. That's one of those things that you wouldn't use necessarily in every situation.
5: But that's definitely something that adds to humanity, you know, if, if you can use it, you know, in that situation. Uh, from that same point of view, though, um, well, I do actually say that uh, as an outside hobby that you uh,
2: enjoy karaoke quite a bit.
5: <laughs> as in, I do use it, you no. no. <laughs> um, I do actually say that in an interview, uh, maybe because, um, I know, uh, a drop back into the context, is in, uh, uh, I, karaoke, I used to be terrible at, um, at like public speaking, like get really nervous and just uh, not be able to be, not be able to be speaking any like, just not be able to like, <laughs> find the right words, exactly. But like the things about karaoke that makes, that I draw back into context is that there are things that make you karaoke. Yeah, that, let me to get better at it. Are the same things that maybe get better at public speaking, as in, uh, um, you have to be passionate about what you're going to sing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that helps quite a bit. Uh, and uh, preparation. So, like, I usually do not karaoke songs that I've never seen the lyrics for. <laughs> and uh, and the third third one is the show must go on. So that's actually the biggest one. You like you make a mistake, just keep rolling because uh, you'll feel the question afterwards. Whatever you know for a presentation, and that's really if you don't approach it just in a simple manner like that, it can be overwhelming to take a presentation. Yeah, I, I think
1: that's great. Just to talk about the preparation, I would also say, Shelly, you asked about oh when you know it feels so awkward. The more we do it, the less awkward it becomes. It's just like going on one date or doing a your, getting up and performing in front of anybody. The first time you have to get up and perform, I remember the first time I know my ish back and forth when it comes to what I talk about. But you know, I, I even I tell people, you know, the first class of every semester, I'm always nervous. I'm always nervous because I want to come off that I come that I'm, you know, that I am an expert in my field and I want to connect with my students. And, and I want them to get excited because I am a nerd and I want them to be passionate about what I'm passionate about. You know, I've been doing this for ages now, and so it's not quite as daunting, but you know, those first few times, it'll you know it'll always still seem, you'll still feel like a duck out of water. So the only way you can really sort of make that pitch not sound like a pitch is just to get out there and do it more and more. I feel like I'm missing a lot of opportunities like at the grocery store and the new mom that's in line behind me, just because I don't know how to say hello to strangers. You say, <laughs> tell you, who's, okay, my kid was that kid at gymnastics today, and I told my husband, I was like, you know how we're always like,
2: mm, there's that kid, that was our kid today. <laughs> so that was to
1: straight up our kid, and so, and I know the other parents were looking like, there's that kid, and I was like, and normally you're just a perfect little angel, but you know, parents,
3: we're highly
1: insecure about the the human that we're raising, and so if you can even just say something like, oh, your kid's so well behaved, or oh, you know, I remember the first few times my son was five days old before we got when we got on a plane with him for the first time. And we 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 cross country. He was three months when we flew cross country or the, yeah, across the US and then we went we took him, we went to Iceland last October. So he's he's he already got a passport, he's flown more than a lot of bills I know. So there is nothing more gratifying than having people go, I didn't realize there was a kid on this plane. connection and bring it up with
0: them, you know. You can also very easily transition from that kind of not work-related compliment to say something like oh, when I was working with these kids at here, I did this. And so you're not asking them or anything, you're telling them while talking about the thing that they actually care about but then they hear it in the background and they can transition it over to if they're looking and they didn't know and all of a sudden, oh, I could absolutely use some help on that and that's an an easy end so that they can go to think about you
4: they might need to know. That is, that is so true. Um, so, I know that since Shelley and I know each other, I know that she knows this about me. Um, well, before I get into the kids thing, I'll get into the, one more story about like presenting yourself. My first, in my current job, with him, my, uh, my boss, uh, I was having my first like, sort of you know informal review or whatever for months in, and she said to me, do you know that we met? Before and I'm like, well, when we interviewed, like, she's like, no, we met at PSYOP, at the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology annual conference in Anaheim last year, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And then, it, then I started like going through my memory banks, and I'm like, no, it wasn't awkward because she said, I don't expect you to remember me, I remember everyone I meet, um, and we talked after a session, and then I, then I realized that she had looked familiar when I walked into the interview room for the first time. She looked kind of familiar, and I actually had said to her, like, you look familiar. She said, yeah, you do too, except she knew as soon as I walked in. She knew knew exactly how she knew me, and I had no idea. Because, of course, I was trying to talk to a lot of people, because I was going to have a job end soon. So I was just trying to talk to as many people as possible. And I just struck up a conversation with her for, for like 10 minutes after a session, and that was it. She remembered that, and she remembered me when I walked in. And did that help? Probably. I mean, it probably helped that... I mean, I didn't even remember meeting her, but like, just coincidentally, she happened to, you know, it happened to turn up again. And the other thing I was going to say about kids is, you know, Shelley, that I enjoy children, uh, especially small children, a great deal. You look, on, you look at my Facebook profile and my profile pictures you'll see a lot of pictures of me holding my friends' kids and playing with them. And I just enjoy babies so much because they're so fun to me. You're friends with my I know. A I am friends with your mom. And Cassie's adorable. And um, and so and there's probably some pictures of me and Cassie on Facebook too. Um, but I one of the things that I say to people because sometimes you know I'll run into someone I don't know and I'll like wave to their kid or I'll like interact with their kid in some way, not a creepy way, you know, kick like, up a random stranger's kid. But like I'll I'll like interact with the kid and I'll say something and I'll say something like um, yeah and I'll say something like you know I always enjoy babies because everything is new to them. Like they are amazed by everything, and like they'll
2: like they'll like see you wearing a watch. And be like this watch, and they'll stare at it. And be like, this is the most amazing
4: thing I've ever seen. Because it's like they have no memory, so everything is like brand new. And and I think that people find that really engaging. Even just that would be a decent way to introduce yourself if you're in that situation. You know what I mean? Um, it sort of breaks the. <laughs> the natural awkwardness, intention yeah. of like, especially as a guy, it's particularly fraught. I mean, this is one of those gender yeah. things that when you're a guy, you know, you like kids, people are just kind of, hey. um, it's yeah. It's so yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: and even being able to say when they notice that and they they see that you're interacting, say, you know, that's why I'm a nanny because I love I love these moments, uh, you know, of seeing them say something for the first time. That's when you get to sort of hook them and show them that this because then they might, that could lead to another conversation, and you know, maybe it's not the right moment, but at least you tried, and eventually it will, someone's going to go, oh my god, you're a are you looking for a job? Because like, uh, <laughs> you clearly know, you, like kids, because yeah, you just showed yes, me exactly. like Exactly, and so more than just the pitch, like what you've done is engaged, and you know, and you've shown just as much of yourself in that interaction, that very real, genuine, spontaneous, that is going that you know could, that could you know also be seen in an interview but maybe even more so because it wasn't forced and so I don't think that you know don't look at it don't look at it as a forced situation just think of it as organic and find those opportunities you know if you're taking with other kids in the park or you're with you know wherever you are just just you know you can find those opportunities and and be real and show your passion show what you're really interested if he asks, I I I I may need an
2: So. <laughs> okay, real quick, fast, Kristen, did you have anything to add about all your pitches? Because I know you were upstairs when this whole thing started. I have questions from the internet. Oh. Because you people ask questions on the internet. All right, this one comes. It's a it's a well, it's two questions and one post. So. First is, and just shout these out and I'll write them down. Um, do any of you have resume formatting apps or programs that you recommend? Do they have one?
4: Well, I have advice, and this goes under preparation. Like I feel fortunate to say that, you know, since 2003 when I finished my master's, I've worked almost nonstop in my field that I studied. And so initially, of course, everything was proper parallel, I had some jobs that didn't work out. And now I'm just kinda like, Lay out on me. There's really nothing I have not seen or heard at this point. So I, because I'm prepared. Because I've had a lot of experience, work experience, and I've had an opportunity to get all my ducks in a row just by experience. And so I'm comfortable. And more than anything, people want to be, people want someone who's comfortable in their own skin to be around them. And humility, if you're afraid of, like, you know, if you're not a stand-up comedian like BJ, uh, I'm kind of <laughs> Like she said a couple times to, like, make jokes. I found that just, like, being self deprecating and humility goes a long way. It just breaks right, all the right. tension. Like it just, in any situation, just joke about yourself making a mistake. And it's not in a way that'll cost you a job, obviously, about something relatively innocuous. I mean, like, one of the things I want to talk about in interviews is wow, when I was at the railroad and my supervisor left and they were never replaced. Um, I had to inherit all her duties and responsibilities, which included a budget, which I'd never managed any sort of budget, even my own, before at that point. Um, like I'd never done—I never took finance in grad school. I never, like, I took stats. I didn't take finance. I didn't want to be a business major, that's why I studied at a like And but this became part of the job because they needed someone to do it. And he was showing me the spreadsheet, and like move these things around and make sure that all the bills get paid. and I'm like. And like, are you sure? I literally said to him, Are you sure this is a good idea? Because I've never done this before, and like this is not my specialty. Like, and he said, Well, it's an important skill to learn, and I think you can handle it. And you know, he was right. And I eventually got used to it. But I tell people, like, I really chafed against it. It sucked. It was terrible. And I didn't feel like I was any good. And I thought he was making a gigantic mistake. <laughs> like I really did. And and people people hear stories like that, and they and when they hear that you're humble. Then it really does a lot to ease attention because, again, it humanizes you in their eyes, and you're not just this robot trying to present only the best face of yourself the entire time you're there, like, I am jelly and I am amazing and these, you know. <laughs> like, you don't, that's not what people want to be around, kind of speaking. But the resume thing, to answer your question, one thing that I found literally people have laughed at me when i said this, but it really helped me, is after the Miami fiasco, I, I actually. Paid. Monster has a resume writing service. At the time it cost 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of money, right? How much is a job worth? Exactly. So it's exactly. totally, totally worth it, right? Like, because even a low paying job is going to pay you a lot more than 250 bucks, which is why they can get away with charging 300 bucks to do it. And at the time, my resume, because I was new to I.O. and I just got my degree and then I had this job in South Africa and then this new job didn't work out. It was all over the place. I thought I was going to be a social worker when I got an undergrad. I had a job at a social service agency, then a dot-com in San Francisco. I was all over the place. So they called me. They don't always do this, but they guarantee they'll get it done in three days or less. They actually called me. We had like an hour-long conversation where I described to her, the writer, how I got to where I was. And at the end, she said, thank you. This was ex- extremely helpful. I couldn't have done, begun to write this without knowing where you are coming from. I, originally, my original resume had these, it was from some random word template or something, or somebody else's template that's from college, right? And she rewrote it and just in ways that I never would have imagined with for the formatting, and I get compliments on my resume to the day. so i just stuck with the format she used, and I just added to it over time. And honestly, like, it is money well spent, like, and I've said this in groups of people before, where people literally laughed when I suggested, paying someone to write my resume, but guess what? Unless you're a sociopath, <laughs> it's really hard to talk in superlative terms about what you've done. Most people have a tendency to downplay their accomplishments because in general society, it is not considered polite to brag. So it's very hard to go into that mode in a way that doesn't come off as arrogant. You feel self-conscious doing it. This is true of most people. Not all people, you probably don't want to be around the people, but that doesn't feel weird too. So, Paying someone else to do it, like, I looked at the resume. and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I did do that. <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's, that is a way of putting, that sounds really much cooler than the way I put it. Like, hey, I actually did do that big project. Like, I would never phrase it that way because I, you know, we have a, we have a human sense to downplay what we've done. And having someone else come in and do that for you can be extremely helpful.
5: Yeah, the, I am very looking forward to uh, our future events of this uh, because... Uh, resume writing, I got really good at it mainly because um, uh, I went to a really small college and like, I had had a very like one on one like literally feedback on that. Was just pampered <laughs> college, I was a scientist a Small College. But uh, in, in uh, with that like uh, I was willing to share of what I learned, so I started reviewing resumes for my friends. Uh, and uh, when I was at the University of Missouri, um, uh, I had an undergrad bring me a resume, and um, I didn't know that undergrad is like, really like, uh, has incredible potential. And when he showed me his resume, I was like, dude, you're a senior. This is not gonna fly. You know, this needs to be like, we need to sit down and we need to talk about what it is that we need to get into this. And Rob lot of times you have to like, literally ask themselves, ask them, Put themselves back in those shoes, describe those tasks, and then we'll rewrite this so that it actually is uh, geared for number one the job that you may apply to. and and the idea is so I've gotten good at this not because I'm a sociopath <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten good at this like when you apply for jobs like uh, at the rate that I was applying for like you have for every job I was writing I had about five or six different resumes gear towards those jobs. So you when you have to like change the resume that um, and, and like really think about the job you're applying for, you start getting better at writing them. So this is something I'm happy to go through and share that web. When and why do you change your
2: resume?
5: Um so every job should be very You need like to, like, yeah, like other than Jeff updating is. when you have a new job. <laughs> when and why you're you tailor those. So yeah. this
1: this is let me explain No, no, no. Well, you
3: can't,
1: but, so, I have, no, 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 but so, I think it depends, tell I think it's, this is faith, I think it depends on, um, yes, your cover letter needs to be tailored, but you can have certain, we'll say, working resumes. I won't necessarily say tailored, but I will say working. So, if I'm applying for a translator job, I have a translator resume that I update you know accordingly if i am going for a job in program management i have a more you know one that highlights or has language that, that highlights more what i did in that field in my education you know field that i'm in i have you know more of a teaching resume that i have and so you can update those accordingly and and they work they sort of complement your cover letter your cover letter needs to be why you're a great fit for that organization the working resumes or the tailored resumes are really more about highlighting and and, um, and the language choices absolutely and I want to talk about language choices active not passive obviously you, you know both are when, especially on like USA jobs I go through what like, this could be on any sort in of idealist you know wherever you're finding your jobs find what they're using in that, in that job description and try to use as many of those words as you can, as appropriate. Also, never talk about your, never talk about the responsibility you had at the job. Talk about your accomplishments. Talk about what you did. I'm a teacher and know what I'm supposed to be doing. What I did was, I actually, um, and I'll talk about this in a second, but. After reading some resources, which I'll get into, I realized I can employ a lot and in DC wants this. Figures, stats, what can I do? So I was an you know, I was an IB teacher in high school um, for a few years. And so I I put on there, you know, uh, accepted, you know, um, an additional class with you know an extra 50 students. Totally 200 students that year, and then I said on one, you know, I had a 100% pass rate for all of my IB students, which is, you know, they have an exam that they have to take to get their full IB diploma, and they have to have out of, you know, a scale of seven, they have to have at least, I think, a four. I had nothing but fives and sixes, so I put that on there. I put 100% pass rate. When I was working for Department of Defense and I increased our visibility on Facebook, I put 200% increase in visibility. Show what you did. Oh, what you were supposed to be doing, there's like a lot of what I was supposed to be doing, you know, those are the things that I did that, what's that? I don't know if i have quantifiable accomplishments. Yeah. Oh, so you don't. Sorry like t- 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 next question. Next question. T- t- <laughs> no, you do. I'm telling you, I am a language person. I'm, I'll Just give me a book and let me conjugate all day. And for me, <laughs> I was, I'm such a humanities person, I was like, numbers! Ah, you know, I, mean, I was able to quantify what i that you that you may not realize and, and that can that can come you know by finding resources one of the resources you know like we mentioned like Tom mentioned, was you know if you have a university resource that you can reach out to great i am so old school y'all i was in a library i had a friend who does hiring and she's a program manager she recommended one of her favorite resume books and i actually went and read i checked out this book and i read it and i'm a visual learner and so it had taught hundreds of pages of different resume styles and i was able with my very cursory you know computer skills <laughs> to go in there and update and you know like today said when he gets compli- i get compliments on my resume all the time because i i researched it and i did it myself and i spent a lot of time doing it and if you're not getting hits on your resume, then you know that you probably need to update it somehow. And that can be style, that can be a lot of different things. And that's something that, you know, either if you go through a service or you go through your career counselor from, you know, wherever, I mean, yeah. you know, find a friend in HR, exactly. I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of things out there. Like, I really, honestly, I just checked out books and found resume styles, and visually, I found the ones that I liked, and then I went in and I updated my information
0: well, sir, so I, I hate up, we, we actually have to shut down. We have, like, <laughs> band coming in to set up everything. Oh, yeah. So we're going to have, like, what, we're not putting just one right there. We have one more question. But also, we have a whole one of these coming up on resumes. Yeah. And we'd like to invite those of you who have a lot to say on to come back because it's very valuable stuff. Yeah. We did, yeah. yeah. So we had, I mean, we do have a separate session on that on purpose because it's worth a separate session. So we have one more
1: question. All right. Next question. Um, maybe this is probably just best for you to just we the comment on the on page, but it's uh, the links for the most effective questions to be asked and be asked during the interview. So I guess if you can just like throw some out and i will write them down or if you wanna, I guess, go through and answer that later. Um, just cause, I mean, we have literally like 10 minutes.
3: Um, exactly. She wants to know
2: the, the links for the most
1: effective questions to ask and be asked during the
2: interview. Anything that you can ask that will give you an opportunity, keep showing them what you can do. If they haven't, for example, ask them, what are the most challenging things, what are the the biggest challenges that the company faces right now? Or um, things like that. Because when they answer, think of a way that you can connect back to what it is that you can can do for them. So anything, and you might come in with a few questions because they may answer some in the course of the the conversation you have with me. You're always, again, this is going back to the, the because if you're always wanna be showing them what you can do for them, so any question that you ask you not be me focused but company focused or entity focused whoever you're applying for. So that that would be my suggestion. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that this is
1: fake those are great. Um there's a book that my that my husband has um that I've used um for different skill building workshops I've done I think it's called 101 toughest questions in an interview. Yeah. So there's one that you can actually, you can check it out in the library again, use your library card, um, or you can buy, I think it's like eight or $10 off of Amazon, but I was trying to pull up the link. So you can find that, and then there's another one, and I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sad to admit when I actually started asking great questions, asking great questions at my own interviews, but there's another one um, that,
2: that builds off of that, there
1: are questions you should be asking and one of those Kristen mentioned is, you know, what are some of the challenges, you know, there's ones that I've read that say, um, describe a typical day in the office or, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the recent projects that you're working on that I'll be working on when I start, you know, Um, what do you, what do you think I need to be focused on you know my first week or my first two weeks on the job, things like that. they have a, a book that is compiled, you know, hundred and one and they're really great um, questions that you can ask that give you more information about the, the organization because when they say challenges, you know, you're listening for words and they're gonna be describing the work environment that you're gonna be in. And so you wanna know how is it that they operate. So there are, those are some books that you can actually find on online and, and on Amazon.
3: So I suppose for me, my last kind of words are just, um, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, I, I prefer the online, like uh, blogs, things like that. emails. You know, so you can get, fairy Boss is one I use, the news is one I use. There's a, um, running up it, it's called to and statutes, where she's got a whole, like, how to be a boss section, and it's all different things. Um, those are really helpful, because you get temp templates, you can ask, you can, Read other people's comments. You can see different um, things that are out there. Um, but on a personal level, I think really it just goes back to um, like having confidence in yourself and your abilities and your skills, um, and and being prepared. So anytime you're you know, approaching an interview or a networking situation or just going out, um, I recently just met someone who I invited to to do a consult that I met at like the top of like a bear bar. It like was a bunch of guy friends and she was out with a bunch of guy friends and we just like connected and realized we we're in the same field and it kind of went through there. Um, so you never know when those opportunities will present themselves. So just having the confidence in yourself and your skills um, and the, um, the preparation to be able to talk about what you do, um, that's that'll take you pretty far. Um, I'm going to approach this from a different
4: angle. Because, um, since, I'm in, since I am since I an IO psych and I'm in an HR and I'm kind of a joke when it comes to questions, I would prefer to see a resource on the worst questions to ask, <laughs> because then you could be asked as an interviewee. Because honestly, for me, given what I do, that's a red flag. Like if someone comes at me with a bunch of terrible, well, where do you see yourself in front of you, it's a really stupid question. <laughs> like I generally. Yeah, generally speaking, I would actually seek out those because those can tell you where you don't want to work. Because I find that interview questions are very telling about the person you'll be working for, and if they come at you with a bunch of nonsense, that's probably not someone you want to work for, because if they couldn't bother to do the rigor to ask you job-related questions <laughs> and find and have a system that, and at least seem to be taking notes on the systematic way that they're going to rate your answers, then, you know, HR is a very is a very powerful window into an organization, and how they do their hiring is very and I know that that doesn't necessarily apply in certain fields, but generally speaking, like if, the, if those practices are not sound, then you're probably not gonna enjoy your time there. All
3: right, so I'm really sad to wrap this up because this is such a fun discussion. <laughs>